Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Christopher West Podcast. I am with the most awesome woman in the world. My wife, Wendy. I don't know about that, but I'm happy to be here with you You're awesome to me. Thank you. You're the most awesome woman in the world to me. Thank you, and you're the most awesome man to me. So that's a great gift, and we thank the Lord for that. And I thank Him for you. One of the things that struck me about you early in getting to know you, I can remember so clearly, we were on this walk, this little hike in the woods, and you saw a tree that looked really fun to climb, and you just didn't resist at all, just like... Here you were, I don't know what, 24, 25 years old. years old, yeah. You just scrambled up this tree trunk a ba- with abandon and got yourself up there. And then suddenly it was a little bit confusing as to how you were going to get d- <laughs> down. I remember looking at you in that predicament and thinking, he's just this eternal boy thing, just was so Pu-air endearing. Eternus, right, is that right. the Latin? So I just, Not to be confused with Poopair, Eternus. You've done many adventurous things, and I don't know if you have any fun adventure activities from the past that you'd want to tell us about. Hmm. Well, I have jumped out of airplanes. Let's see, I've done it three times. Uh-huh. And the first two times was, it's called a static line jump, Okay. where the ripcord is connected inside the airplane. So when you leap... Mm-hmm. You only have like three seconds of free fall, okay. and then the chute opens, and it's a big military chute, um, and they're not very easy to steer. I've also done the tandem skydive where you have like a minute of free fall, and wow. and the guy you know steers. Uh, it's one of those more rectangle parachutes that they can steer really well. But the old military chutes I jumped with first, you really can't steer them all that well, mm-hmm. and I almost died, oh, no. not because of the, the jump itself, but because when I was coming down to the airport, the plane that had dropped me off in the sky was coming in for a landing and came in right under me, right as I'm, I'm maybe 100 feet off the ground coming down, oh my and an Lord. airplane comes right under me with its propeller still running. And a friend of mine who was, had been there to watch the whole thing comes running over to the pilot saying, get out of the way, get out of the way. I had these visions of my... Even if I hadn't hit the propeller myself, oh. my chute certainly would have hit the propeller. And like I had this vision of my, me getting sucked in oh, no, to the airplane. Prope- yes, it was not. not was a that happy your th- first jump? That was my second jump. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but you kept going. Um, I didn't do that kind of jumping again. The third time I jumped, remember what I took um, my sister and my brother. Yep. That was what fifteen years ago, maybe. No, no, we had didn't even live in Pennsylvania. It was like. Maybe 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm too old for that stuff. I'm not interested in a lot of that anymore. <laughs> That's kind of sad. No, you still keep some adventure. In I your do life. keep some adventure. It's, it's a desire to take flight. Uh-huh. It's a desire to be suspended above the ground for just a split second uh-huh. even. It's yeah. fun. Jumping off of cliffs and yeah. into rivers. and It's always been something I'd love to do. That's right, and still do. Yeah. Okay. Well, can I share some questions with you? That was my question. I'll share some from our listeners. I have an anonymous question. I think that it's a, a woman who asks, 
She says, I've been told that only virgins, meaning never had sexual relations, can be consecrated to God. So, am I just a hopeless cause since I have been married before and annulled? And then she has a second part of her story. She says, I consecrated myself to God with scripture I was given by a rabbi since I couldn't get an appointment with a priest. Is that valid? It's kind of two different questions. Huh. Well, first of all, let's try to understand what the church means by consecration in the broad sense and then the idea of being a consecrated virgin. Mm-hmm. So we're all called by virtue of our baptisms, every single baptized person is consecrated to the Lord. That's what baptism does. Mm-hmm. It consecrates us to the Lord. Uh, so that's the broad sense of consecration. Consecration means a, a giving over, a specific dedication of oneself. Yes. So every time we renew our baptismal promises, every time we bless ourselves in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit when we say the creed, when we profess our faith, when we live our Christian life out faithfully, we're living the vows of our baptism. Mm-hmm. Our baptismal promises, we're living them out. That's a consecration. That's the broad sense. It's kind of like vocation, right? There's a sense in which we speak broadly of a vocation. We all have the vocation to love in the mm-hmm. image of God. That's the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being, to right. love. Uh, but then there's more specific senses of the word vocation. Same with consecration. When we get really down into the most specific sense of consecration, the church uses this term consecrated virgin. And a consecrated virgin is specifically one who has never had sexual relations, not because sexual relations in God's plan and design for them are problematic or stained or tainted or evil. No, no, this is not our faith, right? Of course, everything's affected by original sin, but everything can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. So marital relations, sexual relations, as God designed them, awesome, beautiful, wonderful. And in fact, let me say it loudly and clearly, when a husband and wife become one flesh, mm. they are renewing their marital consecration to the Lord. Mm. There's a, consecr- a special consecration in married life that gets enacted and renewed through sexual relations. So, so that's beautiful, that's glorious, that's wonderful. But a consecrated virgin is a very specific sense in which a person has not had sexual relations, not because sexual relations are bad to have if you're called to marriage, but because sexual relations are but a sign of a much far greater glorious reality. And that is the total gift of oneself to God. And again, in our state in life, in our stage in life, Uh, and our particular circumstances in life, all of us, each in our own way, are called to give ourselves whole and entire to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, And he wants us. And he wants us. I almost feel like in this question there's a little... Oh, go with that, Wendy. Yeah, I think you're on to it. There's a fear of not really being wanted by the church. Somehow you're not good enough. There's some kind of standard you can't meet or something, and I... I just wanted to point out that, that that is absolutely not true at all, at all. You are chosen, you are desired, you are wanted, and your desire to consecrate yourself to the Lord 
is but a response to his desire for you. Mm-hmm. Right? We are all we can do, really. We can't really say, I love you, Lord. All that we can really say is, I love you too. Because mm. he always loves us first. Mm-hmm. He's always the first mover. So your heart here, uh, beautiful anonymous questioner, your heart here is responding to his desire yes. for you. And maybe as my wife has pointed out, and I just want to point this out as I'm pointing that out, <laughs> that I love, Wendy, how you pick up these things and people's questions. I'm sure anybody who's been listening to our podcasts over the, the several that we've done now have noticed that I zoom in on a certain thing and a question, and then you get these little nuances mm. that are really important. I'm so glad you picked that up. You're absolutely right. So bless you, dear person. You are loved. You are desired. You are wanted, regardless of where you've been, regardless of a failed marriage, regardless of any pain or sin or brokenness in your life. You are chosen. You are desired. You are wanted. And you are responding to that with a desire to give yourself back. I, I don't know about the scripture verse that the, the rabbi gave to you, but if it's right out of the Bible, no problem there. Yeah, I, uh, I think that too. You know, scripture is is the Lord speaking yeah. to us and in us. Doesn't so. matter if that came from a rabbi or from a Catholic priest or from whatever source. If it's it's the Lord's word, yeah. and it's blessing you in becoming more of a gift to your Maker, then praise God for that. Yeah, I think that's very beautiful. I'll go on to the next question. Uh, it's also anonymous question. It says, could you please address what chastity ought to look like in an engaged couple? Hmm. The commitment level is certainly increased, so it feels as though physical intimacy ought to follow. I think you're, you're right with, I, I, I don't want to just say that without some qualification, but yes, affection is appropriate in as much as it corresponds to the real state of your relationship. And there is a commitment of sorts that has been exchanged between an engaged couple that is different than a dating couple. It's different than certainly a first date, but it's also different than the marriage commitment. So let's not confuse the idea that, well, we're, we're committed to getting married. We're, it's just a couple months away. What's the big deal? I, I remember actually an engaged couple at one of our marriage preps probably 20 years ago, Wendy, mm-hmm. who said to me, and I always... With love, they all know by this time in the weekend that I love them and I'm not here to scold or shame them. And at this point, I've, I've earned their respect enough that I can offer a real challenge. Mm-hmm. So part of the marriage prep weekends that we used to do were always a challenge to save sex for marriage. Mm-hmm. Even if you've already engaged in sex, there's why, why not stop? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember this one woman raised her hand. She said, oh, come on, Christopher, we're getting married in three weeks. Mm. What is the big difference between us having sex now and us having sex then? Right. Do you, do you remember how I responded? Yeah. Yeah, I think you said there, there probably isn't yeah. a difference. And I said, that's exactly the problem. Mm-hmm. There won't be a difference mm-hmm. because what you're doing now is not the marital embrace. Mm-hmm. And what you'll be doing in three weeks just standing at an altar is not suddenly going to change the character yeah. of what you're doing. You used to say it's not like a magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. There's no magic 
wand. There's no magic trick on the wedding day Mm -hmm. that suddenly makes what you're doing in bed together true, good, and beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's only true, good, and beautiful if you are really and truly expressing and renewing your wedding vows. Mm -hmm. Now, on the one hand, um, let me back up here, just for the listeners who may not be familiar with theology of the body and the way I unfold it and teach it. I'll never forget the first time reading Theology of the Body when this started to come together for me. Mm-hmm. That John Paul II expressed, uh, this is not a direct quote, but in so many words he says, sexual intercourse is meant to be where the words of the wedding vows become flesh. Mm-hmm. You are meant to be expressing with your bodies what you committed to at the altar, to give yourself freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. When I learn sexual intercourse is meant to be a renewal of wedding vows with the language of your body, that's what really rocked my world. And I, everything that I had been taught growing up started to click because I, now I had the why behind mm-hmm. the what. Well, it makes sense if sex is meant to be a renewal of wedding vows, why you shouldn't be having sex if you haven't exchanged wedding vows. Mm-hmm. You'd be saying something with your bodies that isn't true. This is the glory. Sex is so awesome and so potent and powerful that what it means, or what it's meant to mean, is I'm totally yours. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I give myself to you freely and for the rest of my life because you're worth it, because your dignity is that great, and my dignity is that great. When you realize that the depth of the value of the person and what you're saying when you give your body in that profound way, you don't want to violate that. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lie to one another. Uh, if, you, if you're having sex and you, you're not renewing wedding vows, you're speaking lies, even if you're married, right? Just getting married doesn't suddenly make it good. So again, all of this to rewind and say, I remember saying to this couple, you know, she, she was saying, what's the big difference between us having sex now and us having sex in three weeks when we get married? Well, that's the problem. There's not going to be a difference. You've been trained not in renewing wedding vows, but you've been trained just in exchanging pleasure, and now you're going to do the same thing when you're married. And, and I think your point with that couple and all those who were attentively listening to your answer there was you have this opportunity to really step back and open your heart to another possibility yeah, and another allow your heart to be seeing. transformed by grace and yeah. be enabled to begin to express something true with your body. Yes. And I think one of the, you know, the struggle of, of wanting to engage in intercourse or other expressions of affection is that it's, it's pleasurable and we can separate that from true communication of objective realities. Yes, yes. And I had a funny experience of that in dating someone, not my husband, someone else, who I, I was very new to this whole reality of dating. And I remember being surprised by how affectionate he was toward me. And I remember thinking, I wonder how he can like me so much when he hardly knows me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of like... I think there was something in my mind saying, how can this be truthful? How can this amount of affection be truthful? Because we're just beginning our yeah. relationship. But that's just a sign that 
of the the inner conflict that we desire the the pleasure of the encounters right, right. even outside of a, an authentic communication of truth right. and that's part of our fallenness that we're called to open up to grace and not to hate ourselves or yes, we've found that yes. that's been true for us because it's been true for yes. humanity but yes. that's our call to keep um seeking the lord and and i think this question is seeking the lord it is it is i'm so glad you brought up wendy that experience you had with that mm -hmm. boyfriend because it's a sign that your heart was wanting honest affection mm -hmm. and you were questioning is this does this affection correspond to the reality of our relationship. Yeah. And that circles us back to to provide an answer to this question. All sure. of what we just said was kind of laying some groundwork to get to an answer to this question. And here's the answer is, is your affection an honest expression of the state of your relationship? Mm -hmm. You're not a married couple. You're an engaged couple. Mm -hmm. You're not just a dating couple. Mm -hmm. You're an engaged couple. So there are distinctions here. And Without getting into all the nitty-gritties, uh, but I, I would encourage you to take a look at chapter five, chapter four, sorry, chapter four of my Good News About Sex and Marriage book. I know I reference that book quite a bit in this podcast, but that's because this is a Q&A podcast, and that book is a Q&A book. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are a lot of answers in that chapter, chapter four of Good News About Sex and Marriage, and you can get a copy for free if you just are willing to pay for the shipping by going to theologythebody.com, clicking on the store, and you'll see the Good News About Sex and Marriage book there. And uh, just pay the shipping, and we'll send it to you for free. But yeah, there is a difference between an engaged couple and a dating couple. Remember, Wendy, when we were engaged, and we were mm -hmm. wrestling with these questions, and I remember a real breakthrough that I'll, I'll share that, that you and I had, we, were, we wanted to be chaste. Mm -hmm. And we were also very attracted to one another and deeply, mm -hmm. deep, deeply passionate and mm -hmm. wanted to express our, our love for one another. And we were, you know, how far is too far? All those questions were going on. And I remember I started putting up walls because I was afraid we would go too far. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there may be wisdom in that if you're going to go too far. And I thought we might go too far if I didn't put up some walls. And I remember this one time, we were in a very warm embrace, and we were kissing one another tenderly, and then I started to put the walls up internally. I was like, oh, no, that's going to be too much. It's going to be too much. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. Do I not trust my fiancé? Do I believe that if I brought the wall down that you would somehow intentionally violate me or, or take me too far or... And I realized, no, 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 wait, I, I really do trust you. I don't, I really trusted your integrity that you wanted what was best for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to you, Wendy, do whatever you want with me because I believe that what you want to do will, is good. I don't believe you want to use me. I don't believe you want to take more than, than should be given right now in this state of our relationship. And it brought a, a remarkable, beautiful freedom to our intimacy and affection in just learning that I could trust you. And, and being trusted is, it brings It the brings good. the trust out. Mm -hmm. When someone says, I trust you, you want to demonstrate that you're trustworthy. Worthy of the trust. Now, let me say this, this is a big qualifier. <laughs> My fiance was really trustworthy. Uh, if your fiance <laughs> is, is not, um, well, I, I might question why you want to marry someone who's not trustworthy, but 
we all have weaknesses here too. We have to be aware of one another's weaknesses. And we don't want to put someone we love in a place of an occasion of sin, right? Uh, to use an old-fashioned Catholic expression. At the same time, I have to say this. There is a danger in a certain mentality. And this is, this is it's prevalent and it's dangerous. It's the idea that you chain yourself to this tree and I'll chain myself to this tree until we get married so that we won't sin, right? Well, there's a real problem with this mentality. The problem is the way we can come to conceive of the wedding night. Oh, now we're allowed to cut the chains loose. And we just jump on each other like, like animals who can't control themselves. This is not the marital embrace. Mm. I, I often say to engaged couples, if you can't be alone together the day before you got married and not sin, if you can't be alone together and express intimate embraces and affection for one another that does not lead you to sin, there's no magic trick, as I said earlier, on the wedding day that suddenly makes what you're going to do that night mm. holy and beautiful. There's a, a real culture of chastity that needs to be cultivated. What does the word chastity mean? It means purity, uh, that, that we would have a pure intention. Does anybody, anyone have, any one of us have 100% pure intention? No, we are weeds and wheat growing together. And that shouldn't stifle us, but it should encourage us to be willing to expose our hearts and just recognize, okay, here's the wheat, but here are some weeds. And to be aware of that in the way we, we love and express our affection for one another. Mm -hmm. Any further thoughts from you, Wendy? No, I think that's helpful. And I think the further content in the book that you mentioned yeah. is really, you know, gets into details that are helpful as well. I have a question here from Sierra. She just starts with some affirmation. She says, learning about TOB honestly changed the course of my life. So thank you from the bottom of my you heart. You are welcome, Sierra. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And she says, I'm an NFP teacher, and I love the church's teaching on marriage and sex. She says, I know many couples who use NFP who deeply struggle with it because they feel it's not fair due to long periods of abstinence or loss of libido for some women during the second half of the cycle. So she wants to know what can I do to help others see the joy in living this out while understanding that it does require sacrificial love? Bless you, Sierra, for your question, and bless all the couples out there who are struggling, 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 mm -hmm. specifically with the practice of NFP. But, but let me say this. The struggle is not with NFP. The struggle is with the challenge of love. That's the struggle. When we blame NFP, like, like the, the question, you know, they think NFP is unfair. Okay, may, may I offer a gentle challenge here? That seems to me to reveal this mentality of looking at NFP as a merely a technique for avoiding a child. Mm -hmm. So it's as if there are all these techniques for avoiding children laid out on the table, and we have the pill here, we have the condom here, and we have the diaphragm here, and then we have NFP. Well, NFP, man, that's going to be hard. Why would we choose that? Well, the church says so. Okay, I guess we'll grin and bear it. Okay, <laughs> there's, a, there's a legalism here. We haven't entered into the what John Paul II calls the 
ethos mm -hmm. of real love, right? We're looking merely at an external ethic that is, seems dry and cold and technical and unfair because Catholics have to use this method and this method is so much harder. Well, that's just so unfair. Okay, rewind, rewind, reset. Mm. Let's, let's see if we can come at this from a different angle. Yes, I think I feel I feel all this. This is important stuff. I think really good question. Really good honest struggles. Yeah, yeah. The, and the the struggle here is not again. I'll say it. It's not with NFP. The struggle is with love, and love demands. It's not an option. If it's going to be real love, it demands self mastery of our sexual desires. I've asked over the years of giving presentations around the world, I've asked hundreds of thousands of women this question, and no one has ever raised her hand. Mm -hmm. It's this question. How many of you, I'll say to the women, how many of you want to be married to a man who cannot control his sexual desires? Never does a hand go up. Mm. Women intuit this a little more readily than men. Interestingly, if you flip that question around, how many men want to be married to a woman who can't control her sexual desires, you might get a room full of men to initially think, oh, that sounds kind of fun. There might be reasons for that. Maybe, you know, men are making themselves, making themselves very vulnerable in wanting to make love. As is, as is a woman, there's a certain vulnerability, though, on the man's part where he's afraid of being rejected and the thought of a woman who would never say no would be exciting or couldn't control her desires. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes, but I think on the faces of the men, that might be the initial response. And I think, you know, your insights about their, maybe their reason for that. But I think then the next step is the thought of, oh, she might have a desire for someone other than yeah. for me. And then they kind of reset yeah, their so thinking. It, it, we can we both we both get to the truth of this, but maybe from a different perspective, and maybe different steps are taken. But women intuit this immediately. I don't want to be married to a man who can't control his sexual desires. And here's how I put it in words. And I'll, the women are, are will give me a lot of affirmation that I'm onto something here. Maybe they've never put it in words, but what they're feeling is, if a man cannot say no to his sexual desires, his yes really means nothing the woman then becomes just an outlet for an uncontrollable sexual desire. Practicing natural family planning is not just a technique for avoiding a child. Practicing natural family planning, let's, let's rewind for a minute and say, the call is self-mastery. Whether you need to avoid a child or not, mm -hmm. you know, whether you need to avoid pregnancy or not, every married couple is called to be master of every human being, not just every married couple. Every human person, if you're going to live a life of true joy, true happiness, true freedom, and discover real love, you must be in control of your sexual desires rather than your sexual desires being in control of you. And I, I can speak to this journey. I know what it's like to be enslaved by my own desires. And here's what happens. I'm just speaking from the male perspective here because I'm a male. This is my journey. This is my experience. A man who cannot control his sexual desires will inevitably seek to control others to gratify those mm -hmm. desires. He will become a manipulator. 
I've been there. I know what it's like to just try to manipulate someone to get what I want because I can't control my desires. My desires have had a grip on me to the point that I was enslaved. I didn't know how to love. Only one who is free with what John Paul II calls the freedom of the gift, only such a person knows how to love. Natural family planning, the abstinence that is required of natural family planning, is really a test of our freedom. Why do we spay and neuter our dogs and cats? Why don't we just ask them to abstain? We spay and neuter our dogs and cats because they can't abstain. When we spay and neuter ourselves with contraception, we're really forfeiting our dignity as free creatures. Right? Freedom means I can say yes to something or I can say no. Again, if I can't say no, my yes is emptied of its sincerity. So when we're talking about the struggles of NFP, it's so important that we talk about what we're really talking about and not just blame NFP. The struggle we feel is with our broken humanity. The struggle we feel is with that pool. This is a fancy word the church uses here. The pool of concupiscence. Concupiscence is a fancy word the church uses to describe our disordered desires that have resulted from original sin. In the beginning, they were naked without shame because they didn't experience concupiscence. Their erotic desire for one another was nothing but the desire to be a true gift. Mm -hmm. It came from the deepest recesses of interior freedom, the freedom of self-giving love. With the dawn of original sin, there's a rupture in our humanity, and now we have to battle all kinds of disordered desires. One of the things that has really helped me is understanding that I have different ideas about what marriage should look at, like from different sources and to kind of evaluate where did I get that expectation mm-hmm. or that image and try to really pattern my heart on truth. So one of the things that has helped me is to think the Lord said that we're to love as he loves. That's a call in our human response to his love, is to love like him. And so to realize that if there's suffering in our marriage relationship, that doesn't mean something's gone wrong. That's right. He loved through suffering. Yes, yes. And to, to change our expectation from something that has come from different images or different stories that... You know, even if we didn't realize we were getting these certain expectations, they were they were being sort of fed to us. We were absorbing things. We still are, you know, from people we follow on social media or from mm-hmm. movies that were different sources that we were getting these images and expectations that could be really not at all what the Lord desires for us, but we're desiring it for ourselves, and it's a it's a maybe not a right expectation. So. I, I share that with you, Sierra, because your part of your question is, what can I do to help others see joy in this? So part of the joy comes in really wanting to be close to Jesus and yes, His yes. will for each of our lives, to accept that times of suffering are drawing us closer to Him, that 
that he suffered for the joy set before him, that he's calling us to follow him through times of suffering, that, that there's new life that comes, and to, to really seek his help in those times of suffering because he knows, truly he knows all our sufferings and he has experienced those kinds of things. So I think that has been really helpful to me. I have another thought, but maybe... No, you go ahead, and then I'll, I'll, have, okay. I'll share another thought, too. Okay. The other thought I have is that in marriage, our physical affection is really a ministry to one another, that we're called to be ministers of love to one another and of expression of the deep joy of being gift, you know, of receiving the gift of the other, of being a gift to the other and to one another. And that is far more meaningful than whether or not you have this physical strong desire for union. And I say this especially to the women who do feel, in some cases, an expectation, I should have this physical desire for union. When I have it, I should be able to go with it because those are the images that yes. we've been fed. Yes. And so if we're called to abstain out of love, during a time when we have a physical desire for union, the deeper meaning of ministering to your mm, husband mm. can help you to overcome a disappointment in where you are physically because the Lord can give such an inspiration to that desire to be a true minister of love to your husband that that is a powerful force, a powerful attractive force, mm. even when the physical conditions aren't ideal. Uh, so I just wanted to share that because that has truly, truly helped me so much to understand what we're called to in our marriage. Thank you, Wendy, for, for wanting to be that blessing and gift in my life. You, mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. I'll throw this out there also just as food for consideration that my dear sisters, I say this with great reverence, but when there is that attitude, you know, I shouldn't have to abstain when I'm at peak desire for intercourse. Mm -hmm. Well, men are at peak desire for intercourse like every day of the month, <laughs> <laughs> typically, the typical male. And men have to learn how to become master of themselves. And this is, again, the point. We're not slaves to our instincts, or at least we shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And if we are, we're called to a new level of freedom. Does that take discipline? Does that take hard work? Does that involve suffering and sacrifice? Yes, 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 and yes. But love is not afraid of those things. Mm -hmm. Love is those things. Love embraces those things for the greater good. Yes. And when we see how great that greater good is, we're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for that greater good. That's how good the greater good is. Chastity begins, self-mastery begins, real purity begins only by seeing how great that greater good is and by yearning for it with every ounce of your being. Th that's the motivating factor. John Paul II says, says it very clearly in the Theology of the Body. Only the true value, beauty, dignity, and goodness of the body is the proper motivating force for chastity. It's not just some rule. It's not just some technique. Wow. It's the beauty. We, we should be attracted to the beauty and be willing to sacrifice for the beauty. And now I'm going to draw an analogy, and we'll, we'll wrap it up on this. 
uh, I was watching this documentary on Netflix recently called Cooked. Mm-hmm. It's a four-part series. I urge you to watch it. It's fascinating. It's about natural cooking in the kitchen versus kind of industrialized cooking. Mm-hmm. And it takes us back to all the basic elements, fire, water, air, and earth, and how they affect the way we see the world and see our food and how we cook it. And mm-hmm. does it come in a box? Uh, or are we willing, you know, do we want to get a soup that's just out of a box and it takes 20 minutes to heat on the stove? Or are we willing to put the time and energy and sacrifice into a three and a half hour project? Mm-hmm. Um, not all of us can do that, right? But, but he's talking about the merits. And so we've lost something in the modern world through the industrialization of food. Now, the analogy only goes so far here because the industrialization of food is not, you know, might be problematic in certain ways, but it's not sinful to prefer craft macaroni and cheese that takes 20 minutes mm-hmm. to th- three hours to make your own homemade dish, right? That's not a matter of sin. Mm-hmm. So the difference between natural family planning and contraception is, is this is a more, a real moral difference. Uh, so the analogy only goes so far, but there are some profound parallels. And I actually was so impressed by this. I recorded it on my phone and I'm going to play it right into the microphone here. This is, they're pulling out a pot of soup here that they took about three and a half hours to make uh, and, and listen to what they say. So they're ooing and aahing about how delicious it is right now. And it only took like three and a half hours. I don't want to lecture people into the kitchen. I want to lure them into the kitchen with pleasure. That's what brought me into the kitchen. I'm hopeful there will be a renaissance of cooking and that it will be different than cooking used to be. What kind of beans are these? They're cranberry beans, fresh beans. They're not dry. They're really good. It will be cooking as an option, as a choice, and cooking because it's satisfying, not because you have to. That's so rich what he just said there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say pretty much the same thing. I don't want to lecture anybody into practicing natural family planning. I want to lure people into practicing natural family planning because they come to see that all the sacrifice of it is worth it for the true good and beauty of loving as God loves. This is the gift. This is the gift of the church's teaching. It's not just a technique <laughs> that's meant to make our life hard or, or, or unfair. No, it's an invitation to be lured by the beauty, the splendor, the glory and goodness of sacrificial love in the image and likeness of God. Exactly. Coming to see the beauty of the body, the beauty of fertility, and honoring it as a free choice. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not take up again the yoke of slavery. Amen. I hope that's good food for thought for you, Sierra. We really appreciate everybody's very honest questions. 
We're not afraid to address anything here. If you have a question, askchristopherwest.com. You can submit it there. Uh, Again, I'll encourage you to sign up for the free course to learn more about Theology of the Body and how it can take us into the true, the good, and the beautiful that we're talking about here. And you can learn more about that at askchristopherwest.com forward slash free course. Until next time, God bless you, everyone. Yes, God bless you. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Puer Eternus, is that the Latin? Not to be confused with Puper Eternus.